This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, How to Tour Death Row by James A.W. Shaw and Hot Tub by Thomas Kearns. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. While there, check out our news blog. You can find links to us on Facebook and MySpace as well. Also on our website is the Bound Off Bookstore, in affiliation with Amazon. There you can purchase albums by Mark Rushton, who contributes all of Bound Off's music. How to Tour Death Row Written by James A.W. Shaw Read by Ann Rushton Listening time, 3 minutes, 45 seconds How to Tour Death Row Tell your mother your class will be touring Death Row. It's okay to flop back on your bed and roll your eyes when she insists on a bulletproof vest. She knows you're majoring in criminal justice, but she'll say she wishes you'd focus more on the justice and less on the criminals. Don't sass her back. Just promise to call when you get home. Before boarding the community college's van, use the bathroom. The prison is a long drive through the empty desert. When you arrive, a guard will lead you across the prison yard. Most prisoners will be shackled, with others standing alone in 8 by 10 cages for their weekly hour of recreation. Because women like you are on tour, one of these men will inevitably pull out his penis. The guard won't mind if you laugh. He might suggest it. Enter a concrete building that reminds you of a tool shed. It'll be more than 100 degrees inside. Someone will ask where the air conditioning is, and everyone else will smugly nod when the guard cracks. This is a prison, not a penthouse. The guard will show you the cell where the condemned are brought hours before execution. Step inside and let the guard lock you in. Have a staring contest with your best friend, who will sit in a folding chair like a guard on suicide watch. The person in the cell always laughs first. You will, too. You'll see. Crowd into the death chamber and surround the gurney where the lethal injections are given. Go ahead. Glide your fingertips across the vinyl. Count to 19. That's the number who died laying here. Yield to peer pressure and be the first to crawl onto the gurney. Allow your friends to pull the straps tight around your arms, legs, chest. Wriggle hopelessly to demonstrate how tight they are, but laugh to show them you're okay. Your classmates will giggle and go, ew, when the guard points out the urine stain left by one inmate. As you lay there, your professor will stand above you, hand on your shoulder, and describe execution day, how the families of the prisoner and the victim wedge into the viewing room, shoulder to shoulder, only a few arm lengths from the condemned man, how people cannot see the tubes inserted into the veins, how the prisoner inevitably stares up at the corner of the room, away from the faces, after speaking his last words, how it's over in under five minutes, how the spectators are hustled from the prison. Very professionally done, your professor will say. The class will hum in agreement, but you will wriggle again, quietly this time, and you will picture the faces watching you. You can see your mom, and you wonder what she'd be thinking. Your professor will tell you how he came last year to watch a man die. Remember every detail of the story about the boy who heard his mother's murderer apologize for nothing except making him miss the Little League championship the day she died. Don't research the case, though, because you will be confused if you discover your professor exaggerated. When he says, the second time I came, you will think, wait, why twice? 
You will want to ask about it, but don't. Just stare into the corner of the room until they unstrap you. While the others take their turn on the gurney, you'll find a sheet of stickers used to label bottles of sodium pentothal. Slip it in your pocket when the guard looks away. When it's time to file past the death row inmates, tell a white lie, say the heat is making you sick, and let another guard escort you out. Don't forget the keys to the van so you can run the AC. Play the radio. Don't picture setting a match to the labels in your pocket when you get home. Just think about the prison gift shop, where you can buy a lunchbox made from license plates. That way you'll have something to tell your mother when you get home. The End James A.W. Shaw has published stories in the North Atlantic Review on McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Pindledy Boz, Flashquake, and elsewhere. Hot Tub. Written by Thomas Kearns. Read by Kelly Shriver. Listening time, 8 minutes, 50 seconds. Hot Tub. By Thomas Kearns. Ellen could not bear another moment in bed next to him, after their failed attempt at intimacy. The aborted gestures, the apologies, both sincere and otherwise. But she had no cause to leave the bed, no excuse that would not return her to Gary just moments later. The only thing worse, she decided, than remaining beside him, would be rejoining him after a brief freedom. It's a nice night out, he whispered to the back of her head. We've been inside watching TV, she said. I can see the moonlight. How can you tell? It's shining right through the blinds. What do you want to do? She pulled her knees toward her chest, brought her arms closer into herself, forming a ball. I want to see that new swimsuit you bought. It's horrid. You have a nice body. Only in the dark. The pool area officially closed every night at ten, but Gary insisted a midnight soak was exactly what they needed. Enclosed behind an iron fence, the pool and hot tub were located at the center of the apartment complex, surrounded by the unit's beige doors and oblong green-shuttered windows. Ellen could envision the scattered shafts of hot light from neighbors still up. There would be no escaping their curiosity. She didn't want to get in trouble, but Gary was already out of the bed, flipping on the light. She reached up to shield her face, propped herself up on her elbow. It's already past eleven. I see people out there after hours all the time, he said. I don't know. Gary stripped off his underwear and opened a drawer from the bureau across from the bed. He rummaged for his swimsuit. Come on, we used to love adventures. This was true. They had backpacked through central Texas the summer they were married. He always kept at least ten paces ahead of her with his thick, taut legs and gaping stride. She toddled after him, feeling hobbled by the twenty pounds strapped to her back. They spent their first two years together shooting off down an interstate, taking the first exit advertised on a billboard if excitement or novelty beckoned. A traveling carnival, a swap meet, a parade of homes. They no longer did these things, and Ellen, more and more often, found herself waiting for the nightly news to end so they could retire to bed where she could then wait for sleep. The hot tub is not an adventure, she said, her voice sharper than she intended. Gary stood nude at the foot of the bed, his bright green swimming trunks in his hand. It's something, he said. You've got to give me something. 
They made their way down the stone paths that cut through the units toward the pool area. Ellen wrapped one of Gary's button-down shirts around herself as they walked. It was a chilly night. She watched the beach towel slung over Gary's shoulder swing back and forth as he strode before her. His long body always darting ahead. She would never catch up. Gary slipped his key inside the lock at the gate, but the door creaked open before he had a chance to turn it. You see, he said, it wasn't even locked. Ellen bowed her head and slipped past him as he held open the door for her. He lingered behind her as she made her way along the perimeter of the pool toward the in-ground hot tub. It was edged in red brick, about as long and wide as the small porch of their apartment. A small wood-paneled pump house lay just beyond it. On the outside was the button control that activated the tub. Fire that baby up, Gary descended into the tub and sat down. The water came up to his chest. You see, the water's still warm. Ellen punched the button. Good, I'm cold. The water remained still. She noticed there was very little noise considering it was just before midnight on a Saturday, just the occasional car passing on the highway a few units over. Like Gary had promised, the round, flat moon hung high and white in the dark velvet sky. Try it again, he said. Maybe it's turned off. I told you the water's still warm. If Gary could see her face pinch in frustration, he gave no indication of it. Ellen pressed the button again. Hold it this time. She did. Her palm depressed the button until it was flat against the side of the pump house. She felt the muscles in her forearm tense. The water gurgled to life. Gary clapped and hooted. Ellen hissed at him. Someone's going to hear us. Who cares? I do. Come on, get in. Let's get you wet. She crossed the pavement to the tub and slipped into the water. Don't be gross. She sat on the built-in seat adjacent to his. I wanted you to sit next to me. This is fine. She watched the water bubble around them in the moonlight. She felt as if she were a cartoon animal plopped in a cauldron over a fire. She ran her hands over her upper arms, suddenly aware of their size. She frowned and let her shoulders dip below the water's surface. I told you it was a nice night. She nodded. They talked about what they should do the next day. Was there any shopping to be done? Should he go to the car wash? Was there anything good coming on TV that night? The cry startled both of them. Gary shot to his feet, stood in the center of the hot tub. Did you hear that? It's a kid, a baby. He looked down at her, the panic now absent from his voice as suddenly as it had appeared. It may not be. I know what I heard. The cry continued. It sounded high and jagged. It rippled. Ellen was reminded of toddlers denied a candy bar in the checkout line at the market. But she detected a terror in the scream that chilled her. She twisted around in the tub, attempting to locate from which of the many units it emerged. What the hell is happening to him? Gary asked, the words falling flatly from him. Ellen placed her hands on the brick edge of the tub and began to lift herself out. Where are you going? We have to find out where it's coming from, she said. It's not our business. We should just go back inside. She was still in the water, standing now. They were both standing, facing one another. We can't leave him screaming like that. What do you want to do? We should call someone. Around them, a few more windows flickered to life, casting their white light into the pool area. You're the one who didn't want to be caught, he said. 
You said people are out here all the time after hours. Not always. The cry had neither stopped nor lessened in volume. They both stood helpless amid the bubbles and listened. Suddenly, the screams jumped in intensity. Then there was silence. There, you see, Gary climbed the seat and stepped out of the hot tub. He reached for the towel at the tub's edge and began drying himself. It's over. Ellen listened to the damp chatter of the bubbles. She felt herself fall back onto the seat. The water slurped closed over her shoulders. What are you doing? I think we should wait, she said, just a little while. For what? In case it starts again. So we can do what? More of nothing? Gary. He slipped his feet into his rubber flip-flops and tossed the towel over the hot tub. It landed behind Ellen on the pavement. I'm going inside. Ellen turned her head away from him. For a moment, the bubbles were the only sound in the night. Since their arrival, her eyes had adjusted to the dark, and when she finally turned to see if her husband was still standing at the edge of the tub, she saw him slipping through the gate. It clanged shut behind him. She rested her head against the edge of the tub and listened to the bubbles for a moment. But then the jets shut off and the water grew still. Ellen would have to push the button on the pump house to reactivate the tub, but she couldn't bring herself to leave. If she left the tub, she knew where she would go, and she could not go back there. Not then, not tonight. She slid further down on the seat, felt the water rise to meet her head. After a moment, she was completely submerged in the quiet water. Once she resurfaced, there would be a whole night, a whole life of silence to face. She would stay down there as long as she could. The End Thomas Kearns is a 31-year-old author from East Texas. His work has appeared in Night Train, Smoke Long Quarterly, Pindledy Boz, Thieves' Jargon, Blythehouse Quarterly, and other publications. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.